Darkness falls across the land. Muppeturgy is close at hand. Muppets crawl in search of blood. With Vincent Price here in the hood. Also here to cause a fright are the hosts of Bloody Date Night. The foulest stench is in the air. With Liz and Josh Krebs sitting here. You could fight if you had swords, but you never did learn metallurgy. So you're doomed to hear the words of our podcast, Muppeturgy. <laughs> Welcome to a spooktacular 4th of July episode of Muppet Turkey. As you probably picked up, we are here today to talk about the Vincent Price episode. And with me are... Christy Bauer. Adam Grossworth, still recovering from metallurgy, Muppeturgy. (laughs) And Michal Richardson, still wanting to give an evil laugh at some point during this recording. And we have our own special guest stars, Josh Krebs and Liz Richards Krebs. Welcome, my friends. Hello. What a thrill this must be for you. (laughs) You have no idea. Josh grew up obsessed with horror movies. Liz was so frightened by an accidental glimpse of Nightmare on Elm Street 3 when she was seven, she swore off the genre forever. But they love each other. So much that they dreamed up the podcast Bloody Date Night, where a horror movie nerd and a total novice share what happens when you introduce who you love, to what you love, that they're probably going to hate. In each episode, the couple break down a different horror movie they watch. Josh could be seeing them for the 10th or 20th time, and for Liz, it's always a first-time viewing. Then, they come together to discuss, dissect, and flirt just a little. It's the most fun you'll have being a third wheel. I'm so excited to have them. Liz and I used to be co-hosts on a theater podcast called Maximu, so it is a real joy to be sharing a podcast recording with you again. And this is also a fun moment because you are coming off hiatus because y'all just had a baby. So congratulations on that too. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. What a, what a crazy uh, year or so. We we thought it was the best time to do it was, would be now, (laughs) you know? Sure. Why not? You know, when uh, (laughs) hospitals are the popular place to be. Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) And I tell you, they give you a room all to yourself. It's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> but we are here to talk about the Muppets. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your history with the Muppets? Liz, why don't you go first? So I was really into the Muppets um, as a kid. and But more specifically, I, I didn't follow the Muppets so much as I got really into puppetry and like puppet construction. I was obsessed with the creature, with the workshop and sort of how... Jim Henson built his puppets and all of that. And I was really just really into more of the mechanics of it. I've always been a tech theater nerd. So like that was, I guess, kind of my gateway to behind the scenes was watching how the Muppets get made. Very cool. Josh, how about you? Oh, I, I know how Muppets got made. One male Muppet meets a female Muppet. And next thing you know, they They've do. both exploded and left babies. <laughs> like exploded. It's chicken feathers everywhere. There are so <laughs> few th- female Muppets, though. That is true, actually. I um, so I we had the Muppets Take Manhattan on VHS when I was a kid, and I remember watching that so often. That's kind of what I think. Now that I'm thinking about it, it kind of instilled my desire to go to New York to the, begin with. I guess because I thought the Muppets would be there. I remember with one specific scene where they're in the diner and he's skating around on like little pallets of butter on like the skillet and Miss Piggy gets robbed in Central Park, but, and Gregory Hines is there and it's like, Oh yeah, this sounds like a place I want to go live at. (laughs) 
Who among us? Yeah, exactly. Well, we're glad to have you here with us, and uh, we'll have a lot to talk about as we get into this episode. But first, Adam, where are we this week? We are talking tonight about the Vincent Price episode of The Muppet Show. It is season one, episode 19. It was taped appropriately enough, uh, October 19th to 21st, 1976. However, David made a joke about 4th of July. It aired for some reason in January, January 31st, 1977. It is the first ever theme episode of The Muppet Show, so not really sure why that happened. We had a stretch of weeks where um, the TV listings were not very interesting. This is not one of those weeks. Um, This was followed on CBS in New York by an episode of The Jeffersons in which George throws a dinner party. I didn't dig too deeply into what else happens there, but... Then you didn't it was find followed. out what kind of dinner party? I nope. didn't. I assume that something. Are you sure it's not wife swapping? Yeah, I assume that something yeah. went wrong though. Um, it's probably and wacky. Yeah, it was probably wacky, and George probably did something um, offensive. But right after that was a ninety-minute special called "Evil Knievel's Death Defiers," hosted by Telly Savalas and Jill St. John. Apparently, this was a huge dud. Evil Knievel was supposed to jump over a tank of sharks on his motorcycle. This is the event that inspired the Happy Days episode, which inspired the phrase "Jump the Shark." But in rehearsal, he crashed into a cameraman and broke both of his arms and caused a permanent eye injury to the cameraman. So Evil Knievel didn't even appear on his own special. The 70s, ladies and gentlemen. So did someone else jump the shark? Nope, nope. Special? Telly nope. Savalas didn't jump on the on the bike and was like, I'll do it. Nope, there were other like stunt things. Like There were other events, and it was meant to culminate in Evil Knievel jumping over the shark tank, and they just didn't do it because it was 1977 and like they just they didn't have anything else to fill the 90 minutes so they just aired it anyway because it was live (laughs) and they couldn't do anything else (laughs) oh my god to introduce our guest star that's what i'm here to do so it really makes me happy to introduce to you vincent price is that spooky guy or as kermit calls him the crown prince of terror He was an actor who's best remembered for making over 100 films, most of them horror movies, Uh, but he also worked on stage, on radio, and on television. In fact, he has two stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, one for his film work, the other for television. Born in 1911 in St. Louis to a wealthy family, his grandfather basically invented baking powder, and his father was president of the National Candy Company. Uh, I was surprised to learn that he wasn't British, but turns out his family was as American as they come. He traces his ancestry to Peregrine White, literally the first white child born in colonial Massachusetts, literally born on the Mayflower while it was in Provincetown Harbor. Uh, I don't think you get whiter (laughs) or more American than that, uh, at least from the colonial American side of things. 1933, he graduated from Yale. Then he went to London to study fine arts. He was soon acting professionally in London, performing with Orson Welles' Mercury Theater. He soon made his Broadway debut in Victoria, Regina in 1935. He made the leap to film in 1938, which is also the year he married his first wife, actress Edith Barrett. His earliest film work included standout roles in classics like Laura, although he began working in horror pretty much at the top of his career with 1939's Tower of London and 1940's The Invisible Man Returns. As a young man, Price was, I am sad to report, an anti-Semite who admired Hitler quite a bit. You sound so cheerful about it. Uh, According to his daughter, though, he became a liberal pretty quickly after becoming friends with New York intellectuals like Dorothy Parker and Lillian Hellman in the 30s, so much so that he was graylisted during the McCarthy era for having been a pre-war, premature anti-Nazi, which made him 
basically suspicious as a likely communist because communists hated Nazis before it was fashionable to hate Nazis. After being unable to find work for a year, he agreed to request by the FBI to sign a secret oath to the United States of America to save his career. Uh, His daughter, who wrote a book, which is why there's a lot of information from her, said that he eventually became so liberal that one of my brother's earliest memories is when Franklin Roosevelt's death was announced and my father fell backwards off the sofa sobbing. He was supportive of his daughter when she came out as a lesbian, and he was critical of Anita Bryant's anti-gay rights campaign in the 1970s. Uh, Back to his career, though, uh, he was the third star of the radio series The Saint, taking on the lead role from 1947 to 1951. During this time, he and Barrett divorced, and he married his second wife, Mary Grant. Today I learned Vincent Price was straight. Well, (laughs) we'll get there. (laughs) His first starring role was in The Baron of Arizona in 1950. And in 1953, he was in a 3D horror film, House of Wax, which really confirmed his place in the constellation of horror movie stars. By the 60s, he was fully immersed in the world of horror, thanks to his association with filmmaker Roger Corman's American International Pictures, where he starred in a series of Edgar Allan Poe adaptations. Uh, I would be remiss if I did not mention his 1968 star turn in the flop Broadway musical Darling of the Day, where he sang songs like, I've got a rainbow working for me. Uh, his character was a painter, not a homosexual, despite the presence of songs like <laughs> Not On Your Nelly. Uh, the cast album is on Spotify. I find it delightful. Your mileage may vary. Uh, like many of our favorite Muppet Show guest stars, he had a long association with Hollywood Squares. He was one of the guest panelists in the series finale in 1980, which also featured Muppet Show guest star Leslie Uggams. But I watched this episode, which is quite bad, so I do not recommend it. And he does not speak in the episode. However, Peter Marshall does refer to him as Vinny, which I found hilarious. Did they just not call on his square? Is that? Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah, that, so I forget how that worked. Uh, Leslie Uggams also doesn't really speak, but she does get to model a fur. In 1969, he recorded an album called Witchcraft, Magic, and Adventure in Demonology, which Wikipedia describes as a double album on the history and practice of witchcraft, including folk legends, references to witches in literature and art, facts on communication with spirits, demonology, and necromancy, some herbal recipes, and an introduction to the Wicca faith. Yes, it is on Spotify. Yes, there will be a link in the show notes. No, you will not make it to the end. It is it is bizarre, but not necessarily fascinating. In the 60s and 70s, he embraced his growing camp appeal, playing Egghead on the Batman TV show, and appearing in films like The Abominable Dr. Fibes, which uh, I watched in preparation for this recording, and It is sadly out of print, but because of that is available in full for free on YouTube. And if you want like a, like full on seventies camp horror comedy, and like they were aware that they were making something campy while they were doing it. uh, It's a lot of fun. I recommend it. Oh, it's a great movie. It's, it's really, really good. Um, Is this, is the sequel is fun? um, Yeah. It's, it's a little bit darker if I remember, but like, it's so, it's so strange just because, it because uh, it doesn't really follow a lot of the original plot of a of the first movie because the the first I mean not to spoil anything but his his face is disfigured and Vincent Price Vincent Price's face is the mask he puts on to to cover his his piggy face so it's very weird because he his his move his lips don't move when he speaks and you can see like this little bubble in his throat move which is basically supposed to be like his kind of voice box it's a very strange movie but it is very good and uh egghead is one of the underrated uh batman villains of all time i highly agree we are also working our way through 
Batman on Blu-ray in my house. So we've oh, I can't wait that. for the Christopher Nolan universe where Egghead shows up against Christian Bale. <laughs> dark, dark, gritty Egghead. Yeah. In 1973, he split from his second wife. Uh, in the following year, he married Coral Brown, an actress who appeared as one of his victims in Theater of Blood, which he made in 1973 when he split with his second wife. Not sure on the order of events there, but we can guess. As promised before, we said we would talk more about his sexuality. Uh, His daughter has spoken quite a bit about his bisexuality, which he never publicly confirmed during his life, but in this, I think in the book she wrote, and certainly in the interviews she's given, she's spoken about it after his death, uh, including the implication that this third marriage with Coral may have been an open relationship. They were likely both bisexual. Uh, and I just say good for them. Uh, we'll have some links in the show notes for more information on uh, it's in prices, bisexuality living his best life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks. Bye.org. Happy pride. Happy 4th of July. Happy Halloween and happy new year's Eve. He teamed up with Muppet Show guest star Alice Cooper in 1975 to perform a monologue in the song The Black Widow, and then joined him for the TV special Alice Cooper, The Nightmare. And of course, about a decade later, he would similarly lend his voice to Michael Jackson's thriller. And about a decade after that, Disney would put out a VHS tape of the Vincent Price Muppet Show episode and the Alice Cooper Muppet Show episode on one tape, which is how I remember this episode. In the late 70s, he toured in a one-man show called Diversions and Delights, in which he portrayed Oscar Wilde. In 1981, he became the host of the PBS show Mystery, uh, which is a role he would hold for an entire decade and eventually get uh, a Muppet version of him hosting the Sesame Street equivalent of the show. We'll have a clip of that in the show notes. Uh, in 1985, he played Vincent Van Gogh, who aided Scooby-Doo, Scrappy-Doo, and the gang in recapturing 13 demons in the series The 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo. We should at some point make a chart of the Scooby-Doo to Muppet Show pipeline. I was about to say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Hollywood Squares. Hollywood Squares, Scooby-Doo. <laughs> if you're playing Sinatra. this as a drinking game, you've, you've had several drinks by now. In 86, he lent his voice to the character of Professor Radigan, the villain in Disney's The Great Mouse Detective. Oh, yeah. And all of his songs slap. And that's also on Spotify. Highly recommend that soundtrack. And in 1990, uh, in what was basically his final film role, he played the inventor in Edward Scissorhands. Uh, Beyond his acting career, he was known as an art collector. He was a commissioner of the Indian Arts and Crafts Boards, and he established the Vincent Price Art Museum at East Los Angeles College, which was the first teaching art collection owned by a community college in the United States. From 1962 to 1971, Sears offered the Vincent Price Collection of Fine Art, selling about 50,000 fine art prints to the general public, which Vincent Price selected or commissioned. Public access to fine art was important to Vincent Price, who, according to his daughter Victoria, saw the Sears deal as an opportunity to put his populist beliefs into practice to bring art to the American public. And as you might have picked up from this episode's panel discussion, Vincent Price was also well-known as a cook, and he published a number of cookbooks in the 60s and 70s with his second wife, Mary Grant, and hosted a couple of cooking shows for British television and recorded a number of audio cooking tutorials. Uh, He passed away at age 82 in 1993. That is Vincent Price. I'm really intrigued by an audio cooking tutorial narrated by Vincent Price. Okay, now you have (laughs) the eggs. What are you going to do with the eggs? I don't think it would help me cook in the slightest, but I'm interested in listening to it. <laughs> the meatloaf's done by now. Why don't you get me started? No, Josh, don't stop. Tell us what you thought of this episode of The Muppet Show. 
Have you seen it before? Have you have you been watching along? Well, this is like the um the one episode that I've I don't ever remember seeing as a kid, but um watching it, I was just like, this is incredibly fun. Like I I really do I think I really did miss out on this when I was a kid. Um, and I really wish I'd saw it when I was a little, when I was a little baby, but the, uh, my favorite thing didn't even involve Vincent Price himself. It was the ghosts, the ghosts singing, um, I'm looking through you, the Beatles song, which I was like, first of all, bold move. Cause you are probably going to get sued. But secondly, I thought it was just like, it's very like inventive. I thought it was really, really cool. Liz, how about you? Yeah. I also, the ghosts were one of my favorites. I love those little puppets. Um, I vaguely remember seeing this when I was a kid, mainly because I remembered um, I've got you under my skin. And I think a little bit of the bats, but um, overall I thought this was really fun. It it is a little weird that it's a Halloween episode that aired in January. Also there's like a new year's Eve sketch at one point. Uh, So that's a little confusing for me, but I did think it was really fun. It's interesting to me that someone who does a year-round horror movie podcast thinks that horror only happens in October. No. Okay, fair enough. People are dying every single day, so. <laughs> exactly. On that note, David. So I had the VHS of this when I was a, a kid, or at least a teenager. I don't remember when it came out. But it turns out that significant portions of this episode were were edited out of the out of the home video release probably because of songwriting issues because i think both the beatles song and you've got a friend were unfamiliar to me because i think those were both missing uh so it was sort of a, a a delight to to see the the full uncut unadulterated version of this uh it's a great episode it's a lot of fun christy I mean, how can you not be delighted by this? It's so silly and so fun. And, you know, for season one, it's high concept to the extreme, which is a great thing. And, you know, a good template for them for the future. And But if I have one quibble, it's just that I would have liked one non-jokey musical number. We didn't see the field of angst once. <laughs> I didn't think that I would miss it, but I miss it a little bit. But, but it's a minor quibble. This is a blast. Yeah, I loved it. Michal. Yeah, same. I, I really enjoyed this episode. I, and it actually works. The The whole season one formula, even though it is getting a little bit tiresome, the fact that they have a themed guest and they take the opportunity to apply that theme to just about every sketch and every song, it makes everything feel really full. And I, I appreciate how well that formula actually works here. And even though there's, you know, there's a running gag instead of a backstage plot, and that is actually fine. It feels like this episode has everything. Although, except for the count, which I keep expecting every time there are puppets <laughs> and an ominous thunder crash, uh, the count uh, doesn't show up and count something, and I keep expecting him to. Yeah, I agree with you guys. Uh, I mean, this is... Peter, uh, Vincent Price is, is so great. David, in the bio, you said he was embracing his camp sensibility, and that is that is clearly true. Um, but he's having... He, he, he's clearly having so much fun, and if he's not, he's a great actor, and you know he's he's great with the Muppets. Um, he has he has good chemistry. He doesn't he doesn't get to interact with them quite as much as say a Phyllis Diller, um, like not as directly. Um, but you know he's he's made for this show and and it's made for him. And um, you know you love to see it. It's uh, it's a good time. Yeah, he goes all out. It's great. <laughs> 
So even though we have jokey songs, they are still real songs. So we've got quite a bit to talk about. So our first number is uh, not a Vincent Price number, but a Muppet uh, body horror number par excellence. But why should you try to resist when, darling, I know so well? I've got you. Got me. Under my skin. Just, just give me a chance here. So this is uh, maybe the most classic example of a Muppet show take on a song that is extremely literal. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, Behemoth, this time as performed by Richard Hunt. Uh, eating Shaky Sanchez, as performed by Jim Henson. And... We'll talk quickly about the song, but I I more want to talk about the actual puppetry because it's amazing. Um, The song is a Cole Porter song. We've talked quite a bit about Cole Porter already. It's from 1936. It was introduced in the movie Born to Dance by Virginia Bruce. It was nominated for the Best Song Oscar. That's another thing that we should map is how many of the Best Original Song Oscar songs have wound up on The Muppet Show. Or the second place (laughs) runner-up. Yeah, nominees, because this this lost to uh, The Way You Look Tonight uh, by Jerome Kern and Muppeturgy favorite Dorothy Fields. At least we can't get mad about this one. No, no, no. Uh, I, I think that's actually the superior song. Unlike uh, whatever the thing is from Norma Ray that uh, beat Rainbow Connection. We'll never be over it. Never. Nope. <laughs> nope. Yeah, uh, this also happened to be one of noted Joe Raposo Stan Frank Sinatra signature songs. But why should I try to resist when, baby, I know so well I've got you under my skin. Then he ate the microphone. Who did Frank Sinatra eat before he sang that song? (laughs) Bono. (laughs) I was relieved to hear... Because I, I mean, I've obviously heard the song many times, but not listened to it super closely. I was relieved to hear that um, it's a dialogue that he's having with himself, and so it's not super creepy. <laughs> um, it's like, oh no, it's a terrible stalker song, you know, in the vein of um, "Every Breath You Take," and you know, it's it's very threatening, which is fine when it's a Muppet eating another Muppet. But I, I was I was happy to hear that it's it's actually you know Frank is talking to himself about how he can never win because he's obsessed with with this person he's in love with. Yeah, and uh, it it's a, a standard. It's been recorded a lot. David, there was a version that you had mentioned. So there, there are two versions that I want to mention. Uh, one is that there was a novelty version done by Stan Freeberg, which was uh, the basis for a skit that Jim Henson did on Salmon Friends, where uh, the the device in that version is that there's like a big chorus singing the song and then there's a soloist and the soloist keeps getting the words wrong. And then the chorus repeats what the soloist says. It's very funny. I've said to myself, this affair. I've said to myself, this affair. Darn it. What are those words? Oh, darn it. What are those words? (laughs) I'm sorry. I lost it up. Let's start the thing over. I'm sorry. I lost it up. Let's start the thing over. Let's take it again from the top. And we will have the clip of Kermit as the soloist with uh, Seven Friends Chorus in the show notes. Uh, and then also in 1990, uh, there was a cover version of this song done by Nana Cherry, which was the first track on and the lead single from the first ever AIDS benefit album, uh, Red Hot and Blue, which was also the first CD I ever bought. It's my part. It's my part. 
And also a, a recent barbecue joint that Liz and I walked out of. Yeah. It was called it under my. It's under called, it's called Red, Red Hot and it's Blue. It's called Red Hot and Blue. Right? Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not called AIDS Benefit Album. That would be a really. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, fuck Red Hot and Blue. <laughs> not to slight your first CD, David. But, yeah. But terrible barbecue. Yeah. Decent album. And, and Sinatra did re-record it in the 90s with Bono as a that was the the lead single from his duets album. Honestly, that version is more upsetting than the Muppet Show version in which someone's literally being eaten. <laughs> <laughs> I mean the ego alone, Sinatra and Bono, my God. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. The video um, is also- them, like in the back of a limo together. It's it's awful. Of course it is. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Because you know because you know both of them had to fight who would go through the door first. Is it either going to be Bono or is it going to be Frank Sinatra? No, none of them is going to give over their status, I think. Right. Right. So limo, they can go from either side. <laughs> it's also worth mentioning that Shaky Sanchez, the the E.T., uh, that was a weird word choice. I didn't yeah. mean like, like. It's Eaton. E- yes. The, 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 the Eaton like, is he an alien? What? <laughs> I mean, he might be. Uh, <laughs> throws out a, a random snatch of K Sera at the end, which is Doris Day's signature song and a winner of the uh, best original song Oscar um, from the Alfred Hitchcock movie, the man who knew too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that song. I love that it's included here. Um, but I was, was waiting for one of you guys to tell me what the connection was between K Sera and uh, I've got you under my skin, but there, there isn't one. Well, the connection is that he's accepting his fate, right? Like, right. all right, if I'm going to be whatever will be. Thematically, we'll be. I understand. Yeah. The yeah. puppetry in this is so cool. Yeah. yeah. I love it. I think that's why I remember this this bit so strongly. Because it the way that Shaky moves, it keeps popping up. Yeah. So he's, you know, if you haven't seen it, I mean, I would say go watch it if you haven't seen it. Like, he's... Because he's be, he's he's in and out of Behemoth's mouth, which means he's on and off of Jim Henson's arm, and to make that transfer happen, um, Richard Hunt or possibly somebody else, because I'm pretty sure there's two people inside Behemoth, I think there um, has to be. right? But so whoever's operating Behemoth's right arm at times has has the shaky puppet by the neck and has to sort of continue to make him look alive and sort of obscure the fact that that Jim Henson is, is actually getting his arm in there while still on camera, which is, which works because this is a character who is like shaking and shivering all the time, but it's really neat. And if you're looking for it, you can sort of see what's happening, but like, it's, it's, it never doesn't look good. Like I'm, I'm aware of what they're doing, but only because I'm looking for it and it's still not like, Oh, I caught you. It's like, Oh, that's really clever. Right. It's always, it's always very slick. You see his feet, you see the whole body. Yeah. That's awesome. Right. And like he goes into the mouth head first, but there's, you don't see any hole where the arm goes, right? Like there's no puppet butt. Like it's <laughs> Here we go again. Yep. I know Christy was lamenting the lack of the, the, um, is it the, the field of angst? What, 
Yeah. What are we going with now? Yeah, the, yeah. the field of angst. Yeah. Well, this is maybe like the the moonlit glade of sheer terror. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I think um, Shaky maybe lives forever in the field of angst. So he keeps popping up backstage, clearly scarred by this experience. Like even though it's a performance. It seems as though he was actually ingested. <laughs> well, and God, you have to rehearse and, that a couple of times. Like, right? He's, he's, he's been through the ringer. Yeah, this is not a safe work environment, no, and I, I don't, I don't feel good about it. I feel like Shaky's going to be on the line with his union rep at some point. Absolutely. Just like, do you have any idea what they're putting me through at this Muppet show? Negotiating some hazard pay. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, this is why they had to film this in. Great Britain, because they just don't have the same protections there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, they have really? they have national health care, so you know. Mm-hmm. It's a whole and, they, and they also had a bunch of kids uh, working the puppets sometimes to underage children, just so they can get those small hands in there. <laughs> so, in in the midst of all of the horror, our old friends Wayne and Wanda are here to deliver some normalcy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wild again. Beguiled again, a simpering, whimpering child again. Bewitched. Bothered and bewildered. So yeah, Wanda turns into a monster. (laughs) Oh yeah, this is great. I loved this gag. It's so simple and so quick and it cracked me up. Yeah. A couple of quick things about this song. It says Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered from the musical Pal Joey uh, by Rogers and Hart. Uh, it was introduced by Vivian Siegel in that show in 1940. Fun fact about this song, it charted six times in 1950, including a Doris Day version that went to number nine, a Mel Torme version that went to number 10, and one by a group called Jerry Murad's Harmonicats, which we have a clip of that uh, went to number 17. Yes, that is indeed a trio of harmonica players. <laughs> Not cats, though? Are they cats? Okay, yeah. Okay, okay yeah. I thought I wasn't the only one waiting for the cats to come in. Oh, I wish. I wish it were like a jingle cat situation <laughs> where it was harmonicas <laughs> and cats. Yum, 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 oh, yum, I was here like, yow. wait, why would they be cats? Because they're the harmonic cats. I got it. Harmonic I'm with you. Cats. Here. <laughs> <laughs> also, why 1950, though? Like, what was going on that this song had this huge resurgence? Yeah, I, I when when did the movie of Pal Joey come out? 1957. Oh, and the Broadway revival wow. was 1952. So, like, I have no idea. No reason for it. Yeah, wow, wild. And what got it made? The success of this song by a bunch of cats. <laughs> <laughs> so we talk a lot about the the Sam the Eagle intros, sort of feeling like you know mix and match thrown and slapped together on whichever one they felt like using that week. But this one actually corresponded with the episode very clearly because he actually says something about if you're appalled by the, the weirdness this week, you know, here to counter it are the very normal, natural and normal Wayne and Wanda. So, <laughs> but also Turn into a monster that would work pretty much any week on the Muppet show. It's true, but it felt, it felt pointed. I thought, 
Yeah, he's always appalled by the weirdness, but he's especially appalled this week. (laughs) (laughs) This week really did it for him. (laughs) Yeah. All right, so in this week's UK spot, we get spooky. Yeah. Spooky Beatles. So yes, this is a a song by a failed skiffle outfit, uh, the Beatles. (laughs) 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 Never Uh, heard of them. Yeah, whatever happened to those guys from the album Rubber Soul from 1965. It's credited to Lennon and McCartney, but it, it is a pure Paul McCartney joint. And it's a song that he wrote to uh, complain about his girlfriend at the time, Jane Asher, who was his girlfriend for most of the 60s. And apparently she refused to give up her acting career and focus on him. So that, that's focus fun. On him doing what? Doing what? Being a Beatle? Yeah. <laughs> I just want to point out that our... our- internal notes document that we're working from underneath this has like four of us all saying, fuck him, fuck Paul McCartney, fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah. But, but also it's his birthday. Happy birthday, Paul McCartney. Yeah. Yeah. We're recording this on June 18th. And so ha- happy birthday, Sir Paul. We, we know that you eventually grew up. <laughs> yeah. So this is sung by a group of sheet ghosts. <laughs> I just think these sheet ghosts are super cute. I love yeah. them. It reminded me of the uh, haunted mansion at, at Disney. Yeah, it's very similar. It's like a like a Pepper's Ghost effect. Right. Story. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's they're right. They're chroma keyed over the the right um, over the backstage set, and uh, yeah, it's very cute. I have a super pedantic thing to say about the ghost, which is that um, their little arms um, cast shadows on their bodies, which they shouldn't do. They're transparent. They're ghosts. <laughs> that is in fact super pedantic. I know, but it, once I like once it's the kind of thing like once you see it, you can't unsee it, and it really bothered me. Thanks um, for ruining Muppet Ghost for us, Adam. You're welcome. <laughs> That's why I'm here. They're really cute, though. I like them a lot. I have one complaint about this particular version of this song. I agree that the ghosts are extremely cute. I love cute, spooky ghosts, and I love this song. And the arrangement is very good. I wish they had sung it an octave higher because th- they're singing in that sort of like vincent price baritone place and because of where like the instrumentation sits it's harder to hear them like yeah like in in the original where the where paul mccartney sings it is up the octave from where they are your voice is soothing but the words aren't clear you don't sound different Like they couldn't come up with like a spooky high pitched voice. Right. This is also a fun time to mention the the one bit of uh, fun trivia that I learned about the original Beatles version, which is that it's Ringo playing the organ. Good on him. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Good job, Ringo. <laughs> Who knew? Yeah, keep it up, Ringo. This is the first Beatles cover that we've heard on the Muppet Show, but it's not the first Beatles cover that the Muppets have done. 
their version of Octopus's Garden, which will show up later on the Muppet Show, was already part of their repertoire, and they've done it at this point on Ed Sullivan and also in a different version on Sesame Street. And Octopus Garden and Little Help from My Friends are are numbers that I I remember very well, but you know we haven't gotten to on this rewatch yet. But they are like, you know, they stand out. Yeah, yeah. I I encountered Octopus's Garden first as a Muppet Show number and was shocked Same. to learn that it wasn't created for that purpose. <laughs> <laughs> well, my parents treated Abbey Road as a children's album, so <laughs> excellent. All right. Speaking so- of music that people's parents like. winter spring summer or fall all you have to do is call and i'll be there yes he will And desert you and take your soul if you let them, <laughs> but don't you let them. <laughs> wow, thank you for including the bridge in that. Boy, does this not work without visuals? <laughs> oh, I think it's wonderful. I kind of like it better. So, if you can't tell from the bizarre Rex Harrisoning of, of this particular <clears throat> piece, uh, this is a Carol King's You've Got a Friend, uh, which I I would say was originally recorded by her, but it weirdly, uh, Carol King and James Taylor recorded the song almost simultaneously. Hmm. They used the same, a lot of the same musicians around the same time. Joni Mitchell sings backup on both versions. The James Taylor version was the one that went all the way to number one. And uh, it won Grammy Awards for both of them, for uh, Taylor for performance, and then for, for Carol King for Song of the Year. Yeah, this is this is fun. It's uh, Vincent Price and Uncle Deadly and Motley Crew of Spookies that includes Droop. So we're very happy about that. Droop. <laughs> He's technically a monster, which is easy to forget. I feel like the Muppet definition of monster is basically anything that's fuzzy and not identifiable as a different animal. Right. Yeah. yeah. Something that's that's uniquely big and fuzzy. Yeah, definitely. I was excited to to hear this song on this episode. I've seen this episode a bunch of times, uh, usually in Halloween contexts, but I forgot that it was going to include You've Got a Friend. And by total coincidence, I listened to an entire podcast episode about this song on a podcast called Strong Songs, where there's musical analysis of what makes something uh, such a well-composed and enduring song, but it was also a really nice reminder when I listened to that episode about You've Got a Friend, which has always seemed kind of cheesy to me, like who writes an ode to friendship, but also we've just spent a year without seeing our friends in person. So be able to, being able to run and see them is actually really great. And it doesn't feel unnecessarily cheesy anymore. And even seeing Vincent Price in a ridiculous wig singing with a bunch of monsters, like just tugged at my heartstrings. I appreciate it. There's a great moment. There's a there's a, a small creature who I don't think we've seen before. I don't even know how to describe him. And and it's like he's asleep. He, like he doesn't have a. He's just like a little a little ball of fur or whatever. And and it's like he wakes up and he looks very happy. 
to remember that he's got a friend and and then he and then he goes back down <laughs> it's this tiny little moment and it's just it's so muppety and it's so cute and of course i made a gif of it and i don't know it's it's great and it's sort of like it, it it's like the feeling that you just described in in muppet monster form <laughs> i really like seeing vincent price interact with muppets in this way he seems really at home interacting with muppets which you can't say about all performers who appear you know with with Muppets, but I would say with puppets, with CGI, with anything like that, like to be able to act against something that isn't really there. I think he looks so at home. Right. I wonder if that's a side effect of doing so many horror films where there's so much special effects and monsters and things like that throughout his career. That- yeah, probably. Right. It's like he's good with the eye lines to the Muppets, which is not always easy. He, he just, he's very natural with that. Well, I mean, I guess what he just made half of his career where he just conversed with skeletons in a lot of his movies. So he's yeah. just, he's just remarking to skeletons, how wacky things are like on house on haunted Hill. Like the, he, he's basically, I don't, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but basically he's, he's kind of like corralling all these illusions to f- scare off his ex-wife at the very end. He's like, kind of like, uh, giving voice to this uh, skeleton. And it's just, it's such a Vincent Price thing too. It's just like, yeah, of course he's a little bit of playful guy. He's pretty playful. I can imagine him being a little bit like that. We should mention this. Um, this song was cut from the DVD and VHS and basically everything uh, from music rights. So mm-hmm. if you've seen this episode before on that VHS that David mentioned up top and you're not watching on Disney plus and you're wondering what the hell we're talking about. It's because you probably have not seen this. Um, and it's really fun. It's worth uh, it's worth a look. Ready, three, two, one, fire. It is time once again for a shot of the cannon as your pie correspondent. I would like to report there is a pie in this episode, or at least there's one on screen that we know of. Um, <laughs> Kermit, as he's introducing Vincent Price, promises that there will be no slapstick or silliness tonight, and uh, he probably gets pied in the face by Fozzie, and it's beautiful. I want to watch it over and over forever. Lucky for you, I made a gif. I'm so glad. Thank you. Watch it on a loop. <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving. There's not a lot of Fozzie in this episode, and this is this is such perfect condensed Fozzie. It's mm-hmm. all we need great yeah it's very dedicated to making sure there is some slapstick and silliness even in a very serious episode so we've got a backstage plot that's not exactly a plot it's more of a running gag but that's fine as we've said the three-headed monster whom we will learn next week is named tom dick and harry um and the three-headed monster wants to audition the three heads over the course of their various appearances backstage that can't seem to agree on very much including what act they perform and uh let's listen to a little bit of them there's someone here wanting to audition. Okay, who is he? Well, it's not exactly a he. Okay, who is she? Well, it's not exactly a she. <coughs> Scooter, this rather severely limits the possibilities. Uh, would you please explain yourself? Well, it's sort of a they. Uh, you mean there's more than one? Not really. <laughs> this gopher is about to become a gun for... Scooter, what are you talking about? Uh, uh, that. Plays a little differently in 2021. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Though we do learn later that one of the heads uses female pronouns. That's Unclear right. if that's Tom, Dick, or Harry. So, you know, they're uh, they're they're ahead of their time. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, tell me, hey, what do you guys do? We sing. No, we dance. No, we tell jokes. Uh-huh. Uh, you work on television much? Work, work on, on television, television much? Always. Sometimes. Never. Uh, I, I think you fellas have some problems. Which one of you is the leader? Uh, he is. Uh, he is. She is. In fact, they got lots of problems. They're very cute. They look great on screen. I got no problems with Tom, Dick, and Harry. I far prefer them to the two-headed singer from the Ben Vereen episode. Oh, yes. Mm. And there's a really cute moment later where um, Fozzie is comforting them because they're not going to get to be on the show. Where he's just snuggled up with them. It's so I'm really sorry, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a fan. Although they do stick around. They are going to make an appearance next week. So it seems like all hope is not lost. Yeah, nobody managed to kick them them. out of the theater. If anybody else would like to compare the two-headed singer um, that we saw a couple weeks ago to this particular three-headed monster and other head-impaired characters, according to the wiki, that is the name of the page on the Muppet Wiki. (laughs) We've got a whole list of head-impaired characters, people who remove their heads, people whose heads explode, people who have more than the customary number of heads. It's all in there. (laughs) Thanks, Muppet Wiki. We've got a comedy sketch, or it might be a horror sketch to be determined, but we also, in the introduction, learn where Hilda is from. In honor of my homeland, Kermit has asked me to do the next introduction. We take you now to Transylvania, to a high and brooding hill. We take you now to the House of Horror. <laughs> As with everything Hilda does, her running off stage terrified is pretty adorable. It's delightful. Mm-hmm. I mean, no one in the theater audience would have a clue who Hilda is, but you know, I'm here for it. Yeah, that's fine. Um, in the actual sketch that we came here to see that Hilda is introducing, Gonzo and Fozzie have rented a spooky summer cottage, and it gets even spookier when Vincent Price shows up. You see, the road has washed out, and my horse had a flat. Maybe I. I must tell you, I am not alone. I am traveling with my beautiful assistant and a hideously deformed monster. Oh, hideously deformed is right. Watch it. I'm the beautiful assistant. That is uh, none other than Uncle Deadly, who will show up over the course of the Muppet show to haunt the theater every so often, but arguably he will really find his lane a few decades later as a henchman and then as a wardrobe supervisor on the 2015 series, The Muppets. He also would be reunited with Vincent Price on in uh, 1979 when Kermit hosted The Tonight Show. Uh, we're going to talk about Uncle Deadly a little more in a couple weeks on the Twiggy episode, but in the meantime, it is almost midnight, which means that Vincent Price is about to turn into a maniacal, bloodlusting demon. Every night at the stroke of midnight, the master turns into a screaming, maniacal, demonic, raging, bloodlusting animal. And then I get me. <laughs> I love Uncle Deadly so much. And and I love that delivery. I love I get mean. Vincent Price so much. I know we have like a whole episode where Uncle Deadly is the lead, so we're going to wait. But I really want to talk about Uncle Deadly. <laughs> it's hard not to. Uncle Deadly is pretty great, and uh, his time on this show will come in just a couple weeks. In the meantime, it happens to be in this sketch, New Year's Eve, which means that instead of turning into a monster, Vincent Price turns into 
Muppet Show Orchestra conductor Jack Parnell. Happy New Year, everybody. Some fun and then a question mark trivia. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> in uh, Originally, Vincent Price turned into Guy Lombardo. And uh, this actually surprised me. Apparently, Guy Lombardo was only famous in the United States. And um, Jack Parnell was wildly famous internationally. So they redubbed it for everywhere but the United States. And that's how it wound up on home video. And um, the original audio apparently no longer exists. So it is Jack Parnell forevermore. Um, In the Muppet Show book, which we have mentioned a couple of times, um, this sketch appears. And it it is Guy Lombardo there. And Vincent Price is one of only three humans to be illustrated in that book, along with Candace Bergen and Rudolf Nureyev. And uh, we'll have a couple of pictures of that in the show notes because it is delightful. Interestingly, Guy Lombardo is the more salient reference because he was Mr. New Year's Eve before Dick Clark. He actually is uh, responsible for the modern usage of Auld Lang Syne as a New Year's Eve song. It was actually a mistake. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so Wait, really yeah so according to uh, an article that i read on the mental floss website they said in 1929 lombardo and his band played all lang syne as transitional music while performing at new york city's roosevelt hotel during a new year's eve broadcast it was played just after midnight and heard over radio and television airwaves inadvertently spawning a global tradition amazing hmm. did jack parnell play that role in the uk I Did looked and looked, looked for proof of that, and it does not seem so. So yeah, I guess they just they just went with it as a name as opposed to a specific thing that made sense, um, and then then it stuck because it was really easy to lose that kind of thing in 1977. I also learned another quick funny tidbit about Auld Lang Syne. So similarly to the use of for Elise for the uh, garbage trucks in was it in Taiwan? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Auld Lang Syne is used by Japanese stores to tell people that they're about to close. <laughs> huh. huh. Um, equivalent but, of closing time. Yeah. <laughs> only classier. Uh, and uh, the, the there's a Japanese version of the lyrics uh, that is called Hotaru no Hikari. And it's about students studying by the light of fireflies. So they actually use it for graduations as well. That's lovely. Yeah, oh, it's it's just a get the hell out song yeah. for everybody. <laughs> Go home and study. What are you doing here? I like this sketch, but man, is it when they name drop Jack Parnell? I was, I didn't. I'm glad that you kind of went in depth with that because I thought is he is that really the reference point that worked for this audience? But I guess sort of. Gonzo and Fozzie were appropriately terrified and ran off stage when they yeah. heard Jack Parnell was coming. So. <laughs> That's true. It worked in the context they used it in. Uh, We've got a panel discussion where uh, Vincent Price has assembled a panel of one of the world's greatest chefs, as well as Gorgon Heap, one of the world's greatest eaters, which uh, does not bode well either for Chef Pierre or for Kermit. (laughs) It's also got one of those little uh, Kermit is talking to Vincent when the sketch starts and Kermit says, oh, we're we're on, we're starting. And... uh, in my opinion, instead of him saying, oh, this is where we talk about culture, it is a missed opportunity to flirt with a guest star. <laughs> I mean, oh, well. there will be some necking later on. <laughs> True. Fair. You look 
delicious. Oh, uh, wait a second. Get away from me, you hulking creep. Vincent, can you stop him, please? Froggy, you have to admit you do look tasty. Well, I'll tune in next week when our topic for discussion will be... Oh! but I do love frog's legs. <laughs> well, this show should be reported to the Consumer Protection Agency. Mm, why? The host was just consumed. <laughs> uh, don't count on it. Hey, this is our box, fella. Let me see your ticket stub. It's cute. Also, Vincent Price licking his lips is kind of gross. Yeah. <laughs> the... It's a little the to have Behemoth and Gorgon Heap in the same episode, you know, eating other Muppets. It's a little redundant. <laughs> no, I mean we're else? we're here. Uh, well, we're doing a horror episode. It's true. Yeah, uh, I mean it just goes back to also just a lot of the taking off appendages and handing them to other Muppets with just be like, here, let me give you a hand or yeah, I'm no, trying to get ahead yeah, of everything. And, yeah, it's not the first repetitive gag we get. Yeah, no, it's yeah. fair. Um, it doesn't feel like a running gag in the same way that that feels like a running gag to me. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the running gag of Muppets handing each other their their hands or their heads, we've got some of that going on at the dance. It is a on, an on-theme and spooktacular at the dance. We've got ghosts making ghost jokes and Muppet body horror and Beautiful Day Monster walks by surrounded by bats and looks completely at home. I love the look of that. Mm-hmm. And we've also got uh, a vampire who speaks to his dance partner in the voice of the Count. So at least we've got a little nod to the Count. I'm okay with this. So in our talk spot, Kermit asks Vincent Price about all his years of training and honing his acting craft and how he manages to turn into monsters all the time. But uh, all you really need here are gifts of Kermit and Vincent Price growing matching pairs of fangs out of nowhere and then Vincent Price's reaction when Kermit just bites him on the neck, which uh, Adam in his magnanimity will provide because he loves us. I will indeed, because I do. Thank you. I am um, hesitant to bring up feet again, but um, I, (laughs) how do Kermit's legs work here? So Kermit is sitting on the, on the ledge in the talk spot as he does. And he like slides over to Vincent Price and his legs move. Like they don't just drag, right? They, they are quite active with him, but there don't seem to be any rods in front. There's definitely been some modern Muppet, properties where you know kermit's sitting on a desk and and there are other puppeteers working his arms and legs from outside the desk but i don't think that's what's happening here and i couldn't figure it out and when you look at those gifts let me know i believe that they are coming from the back like from within the body i have to look at it again yeah i mean they must be but i I just i don't think it's something we've seen before on this run of episodes at least and i was quite delighted by it because it's it's real cute it is really cute and it also takes a couple of tries for kermit to just casually cross his legs like he, he tries to <laughs> flick his leg out and then tries again and it works even just that little failed attempt is pretty cute and i've, I've wondered before when kermit is perched on the ledge there and it seems like jim must be sitting behind the ledge but also who is operating the arms um it's it's trickier than it looks I mean, I just assume that we think that that wall goes all the way to the floor, but it doesn't. It just goes all the way to the bottom of where the camera lens is. And Jim also is possible. underneath the wall with mm-hmm. his hand up through the wall. Mm-hmm. Also 
possible probably true i just couldn't see the rods there is the thing um it's something i'm really aware of this is in the with the 2015 muppets um i wrote about it for a website called previously.tv rest in peace and got press screeners and it's the first time i became aware that um on all the 21st century stuff they digitally remove all kinds of crap some of which is i would say is not crap some of which is stuff like the rods on the puppets we know they're puppets you guys you don't have to do that (laughs) you didn't do it in the 70s so I remember really clearly there's this one shot where Kermit is sitting on the corner of a desk and in the press screener, you can tell that Steve Whitmire is under the desk because his voice sounds like he's sitting under a desk <laughs> and you can see the rods on Kermit's arms and legs sort of going off, you know, out of frame off camera because two other people are making his arms and legs work. And then in the finished copy, they ADR'd his voice and digitally removed the rods. And I was sort of like, obviously you need to fix his voice, but I was like, there's really no need to do that. It's a puppet show. But I love actually how janky everything is in season one of the Muppet show. Like his his hands are often kind of pointing the wrong way. And it it didn't matter because it's Kermit and he's alive and it's fine. Trust your audience. And they're still managing all of these feats of puppetry that we yeah. still are wondering how they did. And exactly. How many multiple people are operating Behemoth. And- yeah. But in this particular instance, <laughs> I was looking at his legs and going, where are the rods? So anyway. Good job, Muppets. Yay. Um, in the on-theme Muppet News Flash, the newsman reports that furniture has been turning into monsters. And he also reassures us that according to Sheriff Dave Goals, which, cute cute off-screen cameo uh that it is impossible for your furniture to turn into monsters however while this is happening a man is watching this news report and is eaten by his television and then the newsman is subsequently eaten by his desk so that's fun this is the best news flash we've seen yet i think it's great and this is a this is a taste of things to come because in, in in the future the the newsman becomes the the butt of the joke of the muppet news flash more often than not yeah, that's more fun than putting the guest stars in weird wigs and making them do weird accents. I also mm. found this genuinely kind of scary. <laughs> the yeah, concept of it, not the execution. Right. When he's chased by his ottoman, I mean, that's that's real. When he's chased by his lamp, though, that's really cute. It's a really cute little scooting <laughs> lamp. Just... I think it's because I'm halfway moved into my new apartment. And so I've only got like a handful of furniture and I, I could just like picture each piece of it coming for me. <laughs> <laughs> I love the, t- the television transformation. Yeah. The little teeth. Oh, I love they that. sign off and then the teeth fold down. And it's another <laughs> one that I don't actually quite know how they do. Cause the, the newsman is on it and I assume it's like a, a green screen, but like, the transition from him appearing on it to like to static to the teeth is really smooth, especially for 1976. I think something that we tend to forget is that they can cut and change things around. And then- yes, but I didn't see it happen here. I know, but like, it, like especially with with puppets as opposed to with actors, like it's much easier for things to not move. And yet they often do. Right. Well, (laughs) sure, sure, sure. I I just think that often when when we see something, we're like, gosh, I don't know how they did that. The answer is probably that there's an edit that was just done well. True. True, true, true. Yeah. The magic of television. Yeah. There's quite a few edits on on this that that there's just the teeniest, tiniest jump. And I'm I'm nitpicking, but this one is (laughs) really good. 
So over on our row of talking houses, we are hearing from the houses on the right, which is unusual. My youngest boy is very interested in medicine. Ah, he's a doctor. No, a hospital. It's not even a very it good sound very, very good at you in this sketch. Yeah. <laughs> Hospital he is. That would have been funnier, I think. <laughs> at least there would be something unexpected in there. Yeah, those talking houses are winding down their act. <laughs> using up the bottom of the barrel jokes. And we've got a, a cute little blackout sketch where we're, we're seeing this running gag that we've been talking about. Uh, Vincent needs a hand, which Sweetums offers to him, literally. Ridiculous. I can't find Hilda anywhere. Oh, well, I guess I'll just have to carry this stuff up myself. Oh, excuse me, Mr. Price. Yes? Can I give you a hand? Oh, please. Here. <laughs> That's my kind of joke. <laughs> and he likes this joke so much that he then reprises it at the end of the show. You were really super tonight. Hey, let's give him another hand. Oh, no, Kermit. Let me give you one. (laughs) (laughs) And then as they close the episode, Uncle Deadly is standing there waving the rubber hand at the audience. And they also bring ghosts in, even though they don't have to. And I'm sure that took some work. They are committed to making this episode fun Mm -hmm. and spooky. And I appreciate it. Originally, I didn't like that they used the give it a hand uh, give you a hand joke twice in a row. But I just realized that it is three different ways of using that phrase, giving a hand with help, literally handing off the hand and giving applause. And so now I like it again. <laughs> yeah. They were able to innovate. Well, now that we've reached the end of the episode, does anyone have uh, final thoughts about Vincent Price and the Muppets? He gives it his all, man. He's he's all in. I loved it. I thought he's just he was just having. It looked like he was having a blast. And I guess how can you not? Yeah. And I feel like the Muppets bring their A game when the guest brings their A game, and and like they go all out because he goes all out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like we even saw they went as far as replacing the usual audience reaction shots with a new audience reaction shot where all of the audience are monsters, which I loved. And what I also loved slash hated about it is that like our regular reaction shot, this too had some Muppet monsters who were, you know, applauding and moving and some who were just dead. Just, yep. Just that's where my eye goes. Sitting there filling seats. <laughs> but, but fewer of them are dead and they're, they're not as centrally placed. They seem to have learned their lesson. <laughs> mm-hmm. And those monsters are really enthusiastic. Probably most people are not going to look for the dead ones. <laughs> it's ruined me, though. I like, like, I, I like that all of us made yep. a point of looking for them. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I have sometimes awarded a uh, Muppet body horror moment of the week, but, um, you know, there are too many to choose from this week. However, there is a moment where Statler gets so scared by a monster that he just jumps out of the box. And it's not exactly... Muppet horror, but it doesn't quite work. It's very bizarre. I kept trying to figure out what happened because it didn't look like he jumped because he was scared. He kind of got lifted by his arms. Oh, yeah, it's weird because he's like, he flies almost. Which is cool. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that Murgurk was just a redressed Miss Kitty. She's grown next to her eye. <laughs> She's all tricked out now. She wears it well. Wow, that number scared the pants off me. Are you sure you didn't just forget to put them on again? Uh, Liz and Josh, would you like to plug anything? Tell us a little bit about your podcast. 
Sure. Uh, Bloody Date Night, we do new movies twice a month on Thursdays. We just did our annual visit back to the Friday the 13th franchise every summer. We go back to camp. Uh, but I don't know what our movies are going to be coming yeah. up because I have the easy job of this podcast where I am intentionally left in the dark. So I don't have to do anything except yeah. show up. That's right. And I just usually pick the movie the day before we watch it. So that's, that's my extent of the work that I do. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Muppeturgy. Join us next week for our discussion of the Valerie Harper episode, where we will be joined by Jennifer Cation Armstrong. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Muppeturgy or on the web at Muppeturgy.com. If you're still listening, I assume you like what we're doing, so please spread the word and offer a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme music was composed and performed by Christy Bauer. Our show logo was created by Tom Ryan Backus. This episode was edited by me, David Levy. <laughs> Now we'll never see it again. (laughs) We don't see them now. We're looking through them. Hey. (laughs) Oh, I just got that. They're ghosts. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) I'm stupid.